York, this is John Brown Today, a podcast, and I'm your host, Louis A. DeCaro, Jr. According to the Dallas Morning News of November 30, 2013, novelist James McBride had appeared at the Texas Book Festival in Austin that previous month and had spoken about his award-winning novel, The Good Lord Bird. The guy was crazy. He was a madman, McBride said of John Brown, but we're still talking about him, and I kind of fell in love with him a little bit. The level of distrust between whites and blacks in this country is something that is really hard to talk about, McBride said further. John Brown shows up and says, I'm going to free every black person here, and every black person there jumps up and runs out of the room. That's funny, and it probably happened. I can't say it definitively happened, but that's one of the things fiction allows you to do. It allows you to discuss things that are really hard to discuss. McBride describes his motivation for the good Lord Bird as essentially to have fun with and make fun of history, his fiction, which has now played out as a Showtime series produced and starring Ethan Hawke, is centered on a young enslaved boy named Henry Shackelford, who ends up following John Brown, except that he does so most of the time wearing a dress with the nickname Onion. The premise being, of course, that the abolitionist has not only mistaken him for a girl, but does not seem to have figured it out throughout the story. Although neither McBride nor Hawke's intentions are malicious, they do make the whole story of Brown, and Frederick Douglass too, into some kind of historical burlesque. That same year, McBride gave a particularly insightful interview for NPR's Boston affiliate. In his interview, McBride described his novel as caricature and satire, with exaggerated characters. It's supposed to be a funny book, he said, but then he made it clear that he was almost standing in defiance of history. I hate books that tell me what I should know and tell me how to feel. I wanted to kind of thrust John Brown into the modern-day legendary status like Jesse James without writing a book that was very depressing, and that this is what you should know, here, take your medicine— I just don't like those kind of books, so I wanted to write something that was really interesting and funny. Now, I need to be transparent here. I have never read McBride's book, and probably never will. I'm not hostile toward historical fiction. As a kid, I liked fiction surrounding biblical stories, from Lou Wallace's Ben-Hur to Taylor Caldwell's Great Lion of God, a story about St. Paul, and others. In fact, I liked the ones that were especially steeped in historical research. The closest I ever came to a so-called American historical fiction was probably Jim Bishop's The Day Lincoln Was Shot, which I read between my 6th and 7th grade year. As an adult, and a biographer of Malcolm X and John Brown, I shied away from fiction in general, mainly because I felt, and continue to feel, there's just too much history to read for me to devote hours and hours reading some novelist's take on history. For me, the problem is, if I read historical fiction about subjects that I know nothing about, I will absorb fiction as history. And if I read historical fiction about subjects that I know something, or even a lot about, I will be annoyed. For quite a while, I did not read Russell Banks' John Brown novel, Cloud Splitter, which came out in the late 20th century. I appreciate that his novel seems to have made a more positive splash for Brown in the long run, although I think Brown benefited far more from David Reynolds' cultural biography that came out in 2005. 
But when I finally decided to read the Banks novel, I found a used copy and started into it with some interest. But somewhere about halfway through Cloud Splitter, I got bored, then annoyed, then distracted with my own research on the John Brown of history, and I put the book aside. For years now, there have been rumors that Cloud Splitter was going to be made into a movie. Over a decade ago, the buzz was that it was going to be done for HBO by Martin Scorsese. More recently, I've heard rumors that it was going to be done by Raoul Peck, who made some brilliant films on the lives of Patrice Lumumba and Karl Marx. Perhaps Cloud Splitter will yet be made into a movie or television series, but if so, I hope the writers are more devoted to a method of fiction writing that collaborates with history, rather than following McBride and Hawk in The Good Lord Bird, which actually obfuscates history. I'm not a literary person, but I suspect that one of the problems with McBride's novel and Hawk's adaptation for Showtime is that satire in the postmodern era essentially flips the bird to history, no pun intended, and claims the right of the novelist or the screenplay writer to make truth out of any rendition of history they please. Some folks actually subscribe to the notion that there is no fixed meaning in the text, any text, I doubt too many people can live according to that nonsense, but it has at least informed a mood, or so it seems to me, in which historical evidence and respect for some standard of research becomes unimportant in light of the author's comprehensive right to tell his or her story as they wish to define the truth. As a novelist, McBride evidently thought that because there are many books about John Brown, Frederick Douglass, slavery, and racism. The use of humor serves as a better means of addressing the issue and did not care if the good Lord Bird offends some readers. Look, so what, he told an interviewer in 2013, if you're going to be offended by it. It's not the book for you to read. I've kind of had my fill of those you-better-take-your-medicine type books. I don't think they really push the discourse in the direction that it needs to go on a wider level. As far as books on Brown goes, McBride concludes that there are already a lot of books on Brown, and even the inaccurate ones are very well written. The problem, however, is that despite McBride's intention of writing a funny book, he still really wants to teach us history. And this is probably just as true of the Showtime series that has been brought to us by Ethan Hawke. McBride has expressed the hope that The Good Lord Bird would be, quote, an effective way of opening up some of these issues for readers to make decisions for themselves about whether John Brown did the right thing or did not do the right thing, end quote. So McBride wants people to make a historical judgment after all, a historical judgment about John Brown, and to do so without reliable information. How can an artist who disdains history expect to help readers, or viewers for that matter, make such a decision. I've had some very impressive defenses of The Good Lord Bird given to me by literary folks in the name of the book and series being art, but it is hard to accept their arguments when, in speaking about the purpose behind The Good Lord Bird, both McBride and Hawk seem to convey their intention of guiding people in their thinking about the historical John Brown. Hawk insinuated the same thing in an interview with Jimmy Fallon 
not long ago, in which he said, quote, I've been trying to put this show together. It's huge. It has seven parts. It's hysterically weird and funny, and I have a feeling. I hope it means something to people, end quote. But Mr. Hawk, what would it mean besides conveying a perspective of John Brown that will shape people's historical understanding of him? Unlike McBride's novel, which I did not read, I have consistently watched the Showtime series and hope to watch it in its entirety. But from the onset, I determined to use mental bracketing and footnoting so that I did not get annoyed. By mental bracketing, I mean that I have had to close out historical scrutiny and just pretend this is a story about some figure living at the time of John Brown. Think of Monty Python's Life of Brian, which irreverently stepped closely, but all around the gospel account of Jesus Christ. Whether I liked it or not, Monty Python's writers deserve credit for not rewriting Jesus. Of course, they would have had hell to pay had they done so. But their accomplishment shows that satire needs not uproot and destroy history in order to make a point. For the good Lord Bird, I can enjoy it by pretending it's not about John Brown, just a fictional story set in a familiar historical context. By footnoting, I mean that if I find some meaningful points, I do take note of them. Perhaps the most meaningful note that I have observed is that both McBride and Hawk's black writers, especially in the episode where Hawk's John Brown goes with Onion to see Frederick Douglass, have raised a question about the black perspective on John Brown. That question deserves a conversation in itself, and I addressed it somewhat in a recent article for the online Faithfully magazine. Clearly, contemporary black skepticism and fatigue with white allies perhaps gets vented on Hawks, John Brown, and the good Lord Bird, but permission for this kind of anachronism, so it seems, comes directly from McBride himself, although that cynicism has lately been expressed by other artists and historians. As a television show, the Good Lord Bird series is at once silly, reckless, poignant, insulting, and as misleading as it is entertaining. The portrayal of John Brown by Ethan Hawke is that of a ragamuffin, a man whose sanity sits sideways and whose principles are much higher than his skill set. Hawke plays Brown weird, good weird, but nevertheless not as a man of great bearing, reserve, deep compassion, and intelligence which was what John Brown was really like. Hawke's version of Brown's religion is likewise silly and misleading. John Brown was a tireless Bible reader, maybe even an amateur theologian, but he was not given to collecting good luck charms like old onions and feathers or scattering random biblical references. At the same time, John Brown was no cursing man, not a word. It was a notable reminiscence, for instance, that abolitionist James Redpath recalled Brown once quoting his sons as saying, shit. Otherwise, if Brown hit his thumb with a hammer, he was more likely to say, God bless the Duke of Argyle. The Good Lord Bird series treats Frederick Douglass somewhat badly too, but this definitely is a separate discussion because in some respects, the series gets right the fact that the abolitionist orator did deeply disappoint and undermine John Brown's efforts to recruit black men. But the portrayal of Douglas as a petulant, self-important king of the Negroes, in quotes, is hardly fair, even if it is satire. As the story goes generally, the good Lord Bird contorts, twists, 
and misrepresents everything from Brown in Kansas to Brown at Harper's Ferry, and it would take a series to analyze these distortions and misrepresentations. The fact that McBride made the central narrator of the story a fictional black youth running about the country in a dress and a bonnet is silly, but this is part of the charm of the story and what it claims of itself. If the series thus far has come closest to my heart, it is the episode about the gathering of Brown and his men at the Kennedy Farm in Maryland, because it conveys some feelings and sensibilities that resonate with the truth of that noble band of men, white and black. Brown did sequester a small army in the upper floor of a farmhouse for weeks. He did have his teenage daughter and daughter-in-law at the farm in the summer and early fall of 1859 to keep up appearances. And they did have a nosy young neighbor named Mrs. Huffmaster, who was a constant burden and who probably did spread word about things she saw at the residence of the New York miner who called himself Isaac Smith. The subterranean romance of Onion and Annie in the series is fiction, of course, although it is possible that Annie and the young raider, Dauphin Thompson, had such a moment. Sadly, poor Dauphin took a bayonet to the gut, and his body was stuffed into a container and hastily buried with a number of Brown's other men. The use of the old black spiritual Michael Row the Boat Ashore is moving, although I wonder if people in the North knew that song in Brown's time, given that it came from the Georgia Sea Islands and was not popularized until after the Civil War. Indeed, the lyrics as sung by Onion and Annie, chills the body but not the soul, hallelujah, seem to be an innovation of Pete Seeger in the 20th century. I will continue to watch Showtime's Good Lord Bird and try to give credit where credit is due, but I am cautious. This is fiction, folks. It's not history. And it is not a platform for discussing John Brown, the man who lived, the events of his notable story, or the black people with whom he was associated. The good Lord Bird should not give you a model for thinking about the Harper's Ferry Raid either. The cynical, almost sarcastic response of some of the black people to Brown in this series is a 21st century expression. And the story is ultimately fraught with the contradiction of claiming to be art but inevitably presenting a basis of historical reflection. Quite in contrast to The Good Lord Bird, The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, 1972, featured Paul Newman as a notorious Western figure in a movie directed by John Huston with a screenplay by John Milius. From the onset, the movie's title card proclaimed, maybe this isn't the way it was, it's the way it should have been. Now, this is a far cry from Showtime's trailer for The Good Lord Bird, which proclaims all of this is true, and most of it happened. In fact, much of what The Good Lord Bird portrays either did not happen or is grossly distorted, and its storyline only minimally follows the narrative of John Brown's last few years. Like the Roy Bean movie, it would have been more than a gesture of integrity had Hawk and his producers also signaled to the audience that the good Lord Bird has departed significantly from the historical record. In the end, I fear that it comes down to the simple fact that John Brown has too few lobbyists in the court of cultural memory. Whites, in large numbers, either do not know him, or they hate him as their grandparents did, or they think of him as a kind of Don Quixote with a blade and a pistol. Either way, 
Many are decidedly certain that Brown was crazy, or nearly so. Likewise, black people no longer remember him with the sense of familiarity and admiration of former generations, and many are willing to question his sanity or his methods because, in the end, for them, he is only a marginal figure in black history. This is why James McBride felt comfortable by portraying Brown in fiction as the butt of his own humorous take on history, and why the good Lord Bird can present Brown in the voice of Onion, the fictional boy in a dress, as, quote, nuttier than squirrel turd, end quote. If these criticisms seem harsh, perhaps the listener will excuse an irritated biographer who continues to hope that someday a filmmaker will arise who takes serious consideration of John Brown's life and who can use conflation and stylization and satire in a manner complementary to history. Still, I'm not without hope that despite all that I have said here, some good may yet come from the Showtime series. If nothing else, the good Lord Bird reminds us that the story of John Brown will not soon be forgotten and that every generation likewise will have to decide what exactly to do with him. From New York, this is Louis A. DeCaro Jr., and this is John Brown Today, a podcast. <laughs>